My guess is that when the earthquake that hit Japan took place and the tsunami followed, that within 24 hours, I would venture to say just about every one of us had seen a video or photos of what took place there, the devastation. I would guess that very few of us in this room, at least adults, did not see any photos or videos. I think it's because of tragedies on such an amazing scale that draws our attentions to questions that we might have, that undoubtedly we have. In fact, soon after this took place, um, I think it was Andrew or no, Clay Gentry, I think, asked the question that I'm preaching down in, in Latin. You know, are there any sermons that men have regarding natural disasters and, and our questions regarding God? And then I did some research and, and Google's just, that's lighting up the boards, if you will. So many people have questions when it comes to disasters like Hurricane Andrew, Hurricane Hugo, Hurricane Katrina, the tsunami in India, what took place in Christchurch just recently, and then in Japan. And we can list many, many other great natural disasters. And the obvious thing that takes place is questions regarding our God. And so I want you to look at some of these questions that maybe you've asked or you've heard it asked regarding our God. Why does he allow natural disasters? Have you ever asked that question? Why he allows it? How could he let this happen? Is God punishing Japan for their greed? That's based upon the mayor of Tokyo that says that's what he believes. Why does a good God let innocent people die? We're going to look at a quote from Richard Dawkins that he just made last week. Where is God in times like these? This is a segue to next Sunday and the following Wednesday, gospel meeting that, that Wilson is leading for us. You know, where is God in times like this when I hurt, when I'm in pain? Or just simply the most basic question that encompasses all questions. Why? These are natural questions that so many have regarding these kinds of disasters. Now, you may not be able to read it back there, and it is a little bit lengthy, but I want to read this. And this is just a small section of an article that Richard Dawkins, who is one of the most famous atheists of our time, says. And he starts out, starts out pretty nice, if you will. He says, one thinks of sorrow of the hundreds of thousands whose lives have horrendously been lost or affected by the great Japanese earthquake and tsunami, which will put a black mark against this year, 2011, in the annals, coming so soon after the earthquake that hit Christchurch in New Zealand. The events are almost certainly linked tectonically, reminding us of the vast forces of nature that are normal for the planet itself, but inimical to human life, especially when, li when lived dangerously close to the jigsaw cracks of the Earth's surface. And he goes on to say in a couple of paragraphs later, someone told me that there were to be special prayers in their local church for those people in Japan. Kind of like how we prayed this morning as David led us. This well-intended and fundamentally kind proceeding nevertheless shows how absurd, in the literal sense of this term, our religious belief and practice. Indeed, were they praising and supplicating a deity who designed a world that causes such arbitrary and sudden mass killings? An omniscient being would know all the implications of what it does. So it would know it was arranging matters 
with these awful outcomes? Were they praising this planner of their sufferings for their sufferings? And also begging his help to escape what he had planned? I want you to know that it's statements like these that cause brethren, in my opinion, to believe that, well, God knows all things, but he chooses not to know them. That lets him off the hook, if you will. That's the belief that some brethren have regarding God. I do believe God knows all things, and I do believe that there is a level of understanding that we can get because his word tells us these things. And there are things within his creation that lets us know a lot about him, about his love, his justice, his wrath, everything. And what we're trying to do this morning is look at some of these things and realize that when we talk about natural disasters, regardless of whether it's on an individual personal scale, maybe an auto accident, or something of a vast scale like this, where so many souls have been lost from a physical standpoint in this planet, so many lives taken away, it's no doubt in my mind why there's going to be questions. Why there's going to be statements like what was given by Richard Dawkins. What we want to look at is, if God exists, if God is good, and if God in fact is all-powerful, He's omniscient, then how could He allow such these things to take place? How horrific these events. And I know that there are Christians that ask these very questions. That their doubts arise within themselves, that their conscience and their faith is shaken when others might ask these questions and plant the seed of doubt within their minds. And, you know, we just sang, as Dan led us in our supplemental books, I, will, I sing the mighty power of God, of His creation, of the things that take place on a daily basis. You know, when we ask these questions about what some call the, the acts of God, like our insurance agencies and other people that would render these major things acts of God. I was asked, I forget who it was that I spoke with last week. I said, you know, today, when do we say that today is an act of God? That it's so gorgeous, it's so beautiful. That when we have sunshine or when we, when we need rain, it's an act of God. We always talk about it on a negative standpoint, or the negative point of view, if you will. It's never brought up from a positive standpoint as far as this world is concerned. But the question is always asked when it is dealing with lives being taken or disaster taking place, how could God allow these things to take place? And so many questions view their, their own lives, the purpose of life. Is there a God? And if so, if, is he a good God? And if he's a good God, then again, these why questions, on and on with these kinds of questions. So what we're looking at this morning is, is God involved? How can we know? You know, obviously, I personally believe that we have divine revelation given to us, but that's the extent of our book right here. We don't have modern day revelation. Now, if you're a Mormon, as we were studying this morning, there is divine revelation going on. There are many others believing that there are prophets and, and so on and so forth, that God speaks through them and what have you. I don't believe that from a biblical standpoint. But is there enough divine revelation for us to know when he's doing what? Well, that's what I'm hoping for us to answer this morning. And, and if so, where do we fit in this grand scheme? If we have an omniscient God, 
and we are living here and there is purpose for our living here, where do we fit? And how is it that a life that maybe, from our standpoint, has never heard the gospel, how could it be taken away? So hopefully we'll be able to answer, if not all these questions, at least some of them. And so the first thing is, when we look at a disaster, and that picture is so telling of what took place with the tsunami. And I have to tell you that, you know, although I don't know my relatives, I have relatives in Japan because I'm part Japanese. I don't know who they are. But I can tell you one thing, it was on my mind, and I've had a lot of prayers. Is God involved? Did God make it happen? Did He allow it to happen? Is Satan involved? I mean, there was a lot of questions that, that many have, including brothers and sisters in Christ. And the, the fact of the matter is, we're not given every single reason for why God does things. We can look at passages and take principles like from Isaiah 55 that says, you know, our ways are not the same as God's. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. We don't understand His infinite wisdom because we are finite. We don't know everything. And that's why we have the questions. And He doesn't tell us everything. If not, the book would be endless. But He has been. We don't know at times when something is done because it is an act of God. Because we can look at a lot of things and go, well, that's because... And we might have opinions, strong opinions, but we don't know from a biblical standpoint. We don't. But you know the Tokyo, uh, the mayor of Tokyo, that was his point exactly. He said the heavens did this to us because of our greed. The greed of Japan. This is the same mayor who has some pretty radical views, by the way. But that's his thoughts, his beliefs. We don't, as Christians, understand. In fact, people don't understand all the ways of God's. But just because God does reveal what He has for us in His Word, and we're going to look at some of those passages where God is, in fact, involved in, quote-unquote, natural disasters, even though He does reveal through His Word and through nature itself, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, doesn't mean we'll still have that perfect understanding of, of all the questions that might be running through your minds this morning that might have been running through your minds over the last 10 plus days. But here's our fundamental premise, and this is what David prayed for this morning. And this is the point of the song that Dan led us. James 1, verse 17 and verse 18. This is fundamental to our view. In other words, we start from this vantage point, if, in fact, we already believe that God is. And He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That He's good. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. And so the question that some still have is, if that's the case, then, then why has He created supernatural events as we have when we can talk about the flood in, in the book of Genesis, Genesis 6 through 8? Or we can talk about Numbers chapter 16 when, remember when Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they go up and against Moses and against Aaron? And Moses said, well, Tell you what, if I'm not truly a spokesperson of God, then let, you know, let these things pass. But if I am, let the earth do what it has never done and swallow up these families, which it did. God was supernaturally involved. Talk about Jonah, where God brings a storm where there was none. So that the people finally threw him off, off the boat and God can intervene in the life of Jonah. God does at times supernaturally intervene in the lives of this planet. 
We're going to look at a number of cases along the lines of judgment from that standpoint. Or how about as intervention? How about Exodus 14? The Israelites are given a paved way to go across a sea that's deep. Not shallow, but deep. God intervenes through nature. Or uses His divine abilities to allow for His people to to go across that Red Sea and then closes up the waters against the Egyptian army. Or how about in Joshua chapter 3, again, when the Israelites are crossing into the land of Canaan, and the waters, a high wall of water from miles north of them, in a place called Adam, is left so that Israelites could walk across. Or again, Jonah. Just as God surely brought that storm, He intervenes. We could look at Jesus when there was a storm on the sea and, and his disciples were asking, please, Lord, save us. And with a word, he calms the storm. So we know that God gets involved supernaturally from time to time. But just as Henry had mentioned this morning in that previous service that we have, most often he providentially works through nature in a non-supernatural way, but a natural way. That is why we have a passage like Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where he says there's a time and place for everything. He lets us know. These things happen. There are passages that some might use and others would not. For instance, one of them would be, you know, where, where this tower would fall upon these individuals and, and Jesus asks the question, are these worse sinners than you? In other words... Did it happen to them because they're worse than you or time and chance? There are many such questions like that. But the fact is, God does get involved, has gotten involved, may possibly still get involved, but we don't have divine revelation to say whether he does or not. I personally, my opinion, believe that he does, but I can't prove it from a biblical revelation that says, here's what he did and here's what he did, whether it was Katrina or India, or in Japan, or any other situation. But the obvious question some would ask me would then, would then be, if God is so good, why would He allow these things to happen? And I don't know why He would allow these kinds of things to happen. But I can tell you one thing, that the Scriptures, when we're trying to ask these questions, give us enough information on what we can understand. Here's a philosopher. Mr. Bain, he's from Glasgow in the United Kingdom, in Scotland. And I thought for, I don't know if he's an atheist or if he's religious minded, but he nailed it on the head in such a short statement. He said, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? That was his obvious, he's a philosopher, that's what you do, right? You ask questions. Well, if so, then he is impotent. And I would agree with that statement. If God is willing to prevent evil, but not able, he is impotent. In other words, he is not omnipotent. If he is able, but not willing, then he's malevolent. He's evil. If God is able, but not willing, that makes him an evil God. From that standpoint, that's his premise. But notice this, and this is what brought everything together. Is he both able and willing? If, oh, and it's supposed to be if. If he is both able and willing, whence then the evil? 
Now, I want you to stop and think about this, because it's one of those you've got to think about it for a little while. If God could and God does prevent every single evil to have ever taken place from the time where Adam and Eve had been created all the way till now, do you suppose there's ever any evil? No. Stop and think about this. He would have kept Satan from tempting Adam and Eve. They'd still be in the garden if there was no, no evil in this world. That's where we'd be. There'd be no way for us or no need for us to have a Savior. There'd be no need for us to cry out for help to our God. Because there'd be no evil. I mean, there's a lot to what he is saying that just nails it right on the head. Brethren, stop and think about this. And when we get to the last part of this lesson, hopefully when we look at some more scriptures, it all comes together in understanding why there is evil and why we need a Savior and, and so on and so forth. And thus... When we talk about worldwide events, natural uh, disasters, why they do in fact take place. But these questions are very important for us to ask. And so, just as the philosopher had, had made mention about this, the questions are, are there. But here's where the, the lesson, I think, meets our daily walk when we talk about these things. When we talk about it from a standpoint of looking at scriptures, seeing these events take place... Notice what we find. Genesis chapter 1, at verse 31, Scripture says after God had created everything, right? Verse 31, everything was very good. And then you fast forward to Genesis chapter 3 when Satan comes and comes into the lives of men and talks to and tempts Adam and Eve. And of course they succumb to sin, right? Look at verse 17 and 18 of Genesis chapter 3. I want you to note what is said here because I believe this is a shadowy way of, of explaining the things that take place. And I believe what we read or what Ben read for us this morning in Romans chapter 8 becomes a lot clearer in understanding these things. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Then God said to Adam, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Think about that. Now, naturally, when, when God is saying cursed is the ground, you know, we get the picture of just the, the vegetation and what have you because of, of what is being said here, but I believe there's, there's more than what is just said here. He's just not limiting it, or he is just limiting it, in this case, from a contextual standpoint. He says, cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. That's a big statement that, that God is saying to Adam. Curses the ground. It's not going to yield its abundance. And the toil that you did, now you're going to toil and you're not going to receive the, the kind of fruit that you have. But that doesn't mean that aren't going to be fruit. That doesn't mean that while there are going to be thorns and thistles that no more if man plants corn, he's not going to get corn. I mean, of course, we're going to see what happens with that. The scriptures are abundantly clear. But the point is that the earth manifests the effects of sin. Since the beginning, that's why when Ben read for us in Romans chapter 8, he says, I want you to know from the very beginning, the creation has been in labor pangs. Well, guess what took place last week? Literally, the coast of Japan moved eight feet during that period of that earthquake. Eight feet. 
Now, whether it's eight feet in 30 seconds or eight feet in two minutes, eight feet is a very fast movement. That's amazing. And we've had hundreds. And when I say hundreds, I don't know how many hundreds. I didn't uh, get how many, but I believe there are an average of five aftershocks per hour since the earthquake took place to now in Japan and off the coast of Japan. It's just an amazing scenario of what's going on in the bellows, if you will, the belly of this planet. Just phenomenal. But it's no different. In fact, it's a lot less, in my opinion, than what you could read of in Genesis chapter 10, verse 25. Remember in the days of Peleg, the earth was divided? I mean, that's just no earthquake. You're talking about the earth being divided. And there's a lot for us to get involved from a Bible study standpoint along those lines of that. But... That's an amazing event that took on world history and is in the annals of history from a Bible standpoint. And so again, when you read passages like Romans chapter 8, I want us to reread that text that, that Ben had read for us and note what is being said here. In verse 18, one more time. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, think about that statement in light of all that goes on in our lives. For the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. For this earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So God cursed the ground and now the earth itself is eagerly awaiting so they can be relieved, if you will. And in the same way, he goes on to say, in verse 22, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And then verse 23, not only that, but we also, in like fashion, if you will, who have the first fruits of the spirits, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. From a personal standpoint, do things happen to us at times? Natural disasters to the human body? Yeah. We have all kinds of names for it. We give it names of diseases or cancers or trauma. It happens. Even, even our bodies, as we're getting older, we're like, please. At some point, we want to be with our God. Because it's so unbearable anymore. So we understand it from a personal standpoint, at least through the years... But even more so then from a, a cataclysmic scale in a large proportion on this planet. And so when we look at these things from that standpoint, here's the reason why I believe from a biblical standpoint, we have what we have. Natural disasters. But let me just shift away from the Bible for just a second. I want you to stop and think about this. Remember in Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, everything God made was good. And Genesis chapter, I mean, James chapter 1 verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes from our Father above. There's no varying in that. So, what is good about an earthquake? Ever stop to think about that? Remember, if we stop and like our forefathers could listen, pay attention to our surroundings, look at the stars, study the stars, look at the sun and how it evolves, look at the tides and how the moon's affected, and just be quiet and learn, which we don't do. 
we would see that earthquakes serve a very valuable purpose. Stop and think about what happens if all we did was live on this planet. Rain, snow, fire, landslides, mudslides of all kinds of sorts. What would happen to the mountains eventually over time? They just fall right into the ocean, right? I mean, there is enough ocean in this water that if we were to flatten out the earth, it would be underwater. There's enough water for that. But you know that every single day we have these tectonic plates all over the world and we've got the ring of fire right around the Pacific Rim and what have you. And all going on for thousands of years, these tectonic plates rubbing against each other. And you know what's going on, right? Mountains continue to rise up every single day. Inches. Every day. New islands are being formed. Just come to Hawaii. You'll see them. Volcanoes erupting. Bringing forth nutrients. When Mount St. Helens erupted, some, what, almost 30, 30 years ago now, almost. Remember the devastation environmentalists said was going to take place? How awful it was? Look at how rich the environment is there today. God put forth everything for, for good. And so when these things take place, yes, there's human lives that are going to, going to be taken. Do you know that we can choose to live on the coast or we can choose to live away from the coast? We can live on the fault line in California if we so choose, right? San Andreas Fault? We choose to live in these places. We choose to live by the sea because of the beauty of, of what God has in the oceans and the waves. But there comes times when through the natural process of the earth replenishing itself, bringing forth nutrients, um, giving us land or fresh land and what have you, that these events do in fact take place. It happens. What we do is we focus on the, the, the side of lives lost. And we don't see the side of which God is replenishing and providing for us. We're blind to it because that's not where our minds are. And so I say that as a side note, when we look at these scriptures and we know when, when the picture of, of God's word reveals to us a picture of God being good and he provides gifts, it's a perspective. I believe that is essential for us to have. But when we look further in God's word, as we looked at Romans chapter 8, verse 23 to 25, I believe that picture in, in verses 18 through 22 and verses 23 through 25 serve as a shadow. You see, every single day, whether it's personally or from a very large scale, is a shadow of suffering that goes on. Every day. It's a shadow of the true suffering that takes place being in Christ when we follow after Him. And for the suffering that takes place on a physical level for our own bodies. Why? I'll tell you right now, here's the reason why I think. I believe if we didn't have any suffering, we would not believe in God. I honestly believe that. We would not ask and cry out for Him if we didn't have it. Some might say, well, but Mitch, I'm always thankful. Are you always thankful? Or do you sometimes take for granted? You know, there are many individuals that take for granted God's existence, and eventually they forget Him altogether. Even God, in the book of Deuteronomy, warned Israel. He says, when you come into this land flowing with milk and honey, and all is going well for you, you're going to forget me. And then I'm going to bring pestilence. And I'm going to bring all these things upon you, so that you cry out to my name. 
these things, I don't know if Japan is God saying, you're too greedy, Japan. Some would say automatically, yes, that's God's judgment. And some would automatically say, no, that could never be because God is good and God is not going to bring forth evil. And there are times for judgment, understood. There are times for His grace, understood. There's a time and place for everything. That's what Ecclesiastes 3, that's what, that's what Solomon's getting after. And when you look at the fourth chapter, he says, listen, all this is vanity that takes place unless you give your life to the Lord. And so I believe what we do see with our eyes, what we can understand with what God has revealed to us and what he shows to us in his creation, really, I hope at least, helps us to understand that this is but a shadow of what's to come. When you can read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 following, where we're going to have great upheaval in the day of, of judgment where the earth is going to melt with fervent heat and what have you. We're going to see these things. So in the meantime, what is our walk supposed to be like when we see suffering taking place in this world? I believe it's an opportunity for us to show the gospel. You see, when things are going good, we praise God. Didn't Job praise God when things were going good? Didn't he make sacrifices for his own children? For even the impending days of evil that may possibly come his way? When they came, you know what Job's wife said, right? Curse God and die. But Job says no. And the same thing for us. I want you to know that whether there are those that believe in God or not in Japan... When the earthquake took place and the tsunamis came, within minutes after it, complete strangers were helping each other in unbelievable ways of sacrifice. Unbelievable. As Christians, that's what we do. That's what we should do. Now, I'm not here to say we can resolve all the world's problems by helping every single soul that's ever been on the face of this planet. We don't have those resources. And unlike Mr. Richard Dawkins, who mocks Christians who pray for God's benevolence upon so many souls who are bereaved right now, who are suffering right now, who are freezing in the cold right now in Japan. We can take the practice of showing help to those who are in need over on a personal level and on a local level here in Williamson County, here in Franklin for that matter or the towns that you live, we can do that when natural disasters come. But it also helps us to prioritize our own lives. See, Ecclesiastes 12, after Solomon goes through all of life's experiences, including natural disasters, when he's done with everything, he says to them, the whole conclusion of the matter is you fear God and you keep His commandments. That's the whole of man. That's the whole of why we are here. You see, I guarantee you right now, there are people that have an awesome sense of fear with the magnitude of what took place. And God is greater than that. There was a Japanese man who when the earthquake took place, immediately left his family to go do his work. That's, that was his job. He lost every one of his family members. He said, if I had to do it all over again with tears flowing from his eyes, he said, I would have been with my family. He re-evaluated his priorities when 
natural disaster affected them so personally. What about us? You know, does it take a disaster in our personal lives before we start to reprioritize going, what is the reason for us being here? Does it take a major event like that? Hopefully this helps us before that. It helps us prioritize, I believe, our endeavors of life. And I believe, just as I was mentioning just a minute ago, I believe natural disasters, when we help prioritize our lives, realize that we need to be preparing for the coming of our Lord. Listen, all these natural disasters, as far as when we look at it from a biblical standpoint, if you're in the Lord, a natural disaster is no worse, no better from a standpoint of life itself. Because we're all going to leave this world. Now, here's the, the flip side to that. It's very different because we're talking about lives that are still here, that have to pick, picked up and what have you. I understand the difference. And I want to be sensitive to that. But life means nothing. It's all in vanity unless we have a relationship with our God. Brethren, that's why the urgency of what Jim was talking about in the prayer this morning, the urgency of preaching the gospel not being just churchgoers, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Many Japanese, they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. Our brother Robert Nichols and his wife and his son and their families and other brethren like that that are in Japan trying to preach the gospel there, there's very few. We need to be evangelizing. And if not going abroad into all the world from a literal international standpoint, right here, brethren, we've got fertile soil. Right here in Franklin and Williamson County in Nashville area. We cannot be content living this way just to our own lives. But I believe we can see in a, the big picture, if you will, what happens when we look at these natural disasters and ask ourselves questions and look at the Word of God. And I believe there's going to be some that says, well, Mitch, you've not answered my personal question. And maybe I have not. I know that for a number they'll hear this lesson, it will be helpful. We get to see a good and gracious God. And we get to see that sometimes these things happen because they just happen. We don't know if that's the case or if God's doing something. We don't have divine revelation. But I can guarantee you that with what he has given to us, we know that if he were to intervene every single time. And listen, every single time someone's asking this question on a personal level, every single day, this question, these questions about is God involved in my life? If he was, why did he allow my child to die? Why did he allow my husband or my wife to go through this ordeal? This happens every day. But if you were to intervene, we would not have a need for a Savior. I guarantee that. But we do need a Savior. And these sufferings will continue to take place between now and until the Lord comes. And the fact that He gave us His Son, in my opinion, is a great illustration of that love. That's why we have John 3.16. That He gave us His Son, that those who would believe upon Him would not perish, even in the midst of losing their physical lives here in this world. But we'll have everlasting life if we believe on Him. Brethren, don't stop praying, not just for our 
for those in Japan, for those in India, for those in New Orleans, for those up north who are going to get such great floods if they've not already done so after the great amazing snowfall. These things will always take place. Pray for their souls that they hear the gospel. And when we have those who are in need, make it very clear, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 following, that we help those who are in need. Physical need, not just spiritual. We do that and we fulfill the law of Christ.